Uh, we've entitled today's message, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I had a friend of mine outside Atlanta text me last night and say, Jim, if you're having to text or if you're having to ask that question, should someone else be preaching the message today? And I said, no, I, thankfully I've come to terms with who he is, but I know there's a lot of people right now that are still struggling. Uh, because they see Jesus in a variety of ways, and they're not all wrong by any means, but I want us to leave here today and absolutely sure as to who Jesus is and was in reference to God's divine plan for his life. And so when we think about Jesus, we think about his life and his ministry, it is so, so essential that we know who he is and that we understand who he is. Now, I remember the story, as you read it unfold in the book of Matthew, when Jesus, in the 27th chapter, verse 11, is standing in Pilate's hall, and uh, Pilate is getting ready to deliver a verdict, as um, as uh, ambivalent as he is to seeing justice, he's got to do something with Jesus. And he asks this question in the 27th chapter of Matthew, verse 11. Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate's the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Aren't thou the king of the Jews? But he asked it in a form of a question, because he's not really sure who he is. Now, he, he's read the information coming off the news channels. He's read the paper. He's heard different viewpoints from different people in the audience. But he's not real sure who Jesus is. And i got to tell you something, friends. There are a lot of people in services just like this all around the world. They're honoring Jesus, and they're in a worship environment, and they're singing about Jesus, but they're not real sure who he is. Now, today... I want this congregation, our family, to be absolutely sure that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. I want us to know that He is historically the one in whom the prophets foretold. I don't want us to leave here today with any gaps in our faith. Any gaps in our faith. Now, when I ask people who Jesus is, you get a variety of answers. Some say, man, he's a great teacher, and he was. Some say he was uh, on the cusp of developing what social justice should look like, caring for the poor and the needy. Some would say that Jesus uh, was a motivational speaker. He had, the, he had the audience in his hand at all times, and he did. He did. So say, well, he's a healer, and he was. But is he more than that? And if he is... Can we absolutely be sure today that the one that we're worshiping and the one we're singing about and contemplating today fits the mold that God intended for him to fit? Are we absolutely sure who Jesus is? The two points I'd like to bring to your attention today, two points I want us to understand and develop today. First of all, in reference to who Jesus is, let's make sure that we know he is the fulfillment of prophecy. That he is in one life, in one solitary life, 33 years of life, he fits the description of the one of which the prophets foretold. Dr. Jim Smith, who's the past uh, Old Testament professor at Johnson University of Florida, I was privileged to uh, sit under him, and he made this quote, and I think it's apropos. The Old Testament is a fragrant. The Old Testament is fragrant with the aroma of Christ. You say, I don't really dig the Old Testament, it's just a bunch of history. No, no, no. It is history of the coming age of the kingdom, the church. And it, it points to the coming of Christ. You say, well, what difference does that make? Why do I need to know that? Why do I need to appreciate this historical documentation we call the Old Testament prophecies? Because over 60 passages speak to the coming of Christ specifically. Last Sunday, we, we spent a little time in Psalm, the 22nd chapter, about a thousand years before Christ was crucified, King David writes a psalm 
referencing the style, the punishment, the, the form of death that our Christ would suffer. And that's pretty amazing when you stop and think of that the crucifixion hadn't even come into being at this point. Number two, Isaiah, around 700 years before Christ was crucified, gives a detailed description of why Jesus would die. Not just the how, but the why in Isaiah 52 and 53. Over 60 specific prophecies speaking to how Christ would live and die and what his kingdom would look like, the church of which we are a part of today. Lee Strobel, many of you are familiar with Lee Strobel, a high-profile atheist turned believer, stated after his conversion, quote, quote, it would have taken more faith for me to remain an atheist than to become a Christian. Think about that. It would have taken more faith to deny the truth claims of Christ and to disregard these specific spot-on prophecies and not just prophecies written before Christ, the detailed historical information that spoke of Christ long after he rose from the grave and ascended back into heaven. Documentation from men like Josephus and other historians who claimed and laid proof of what the gospel writer said and the lifestyle of Jesus affirmed his ministry, his life, and message. This is important for us today. It actually does take more faith to disregard all this pertinent information than to remain an atheist. Dr. Harvey Bream, past president of Cincinnati Christian University, uh, just a tremendous saint and a warrior for the faith, uh, has now gone on to receive his glory, wrote these words, quote, no rationalization can explain away the fact of the number of prophets who, independent of one another, it's not like a group of these guys all got together in, in a cave outside of Galilee or Jerusalem somewhere and wrote this information. No. No rationalization can explain away the fact of the number of prophets who give independent predictions concerning his miraculous birth, when and where it would take place, the nature of his ministry, the nature of how he would die, why he would die, the resurrection and the details surrounding those occasions which find themselves fulfilled in the solitary life of one we know as Jesus Christ. Prophets, written over a span of time and a space, all collectively coming in a place where they can detail the life of Christ in absolute accuracy. You say, man, that's crazy. What, what, what's the chances? There is no chance in, re, in relationship to who Christ is. There is no chance in relationship to these prophetic statements. This is God-ordained. This is how intentional God was to make sure that when a crowd of people filled a sanctuary at 415 North Main Street on Easter Sunday 2019, not one soul would have to sit in this auditorium and scratch their head and wonder, did all this just happen by chance? God was intentional. He wanted to make sure that we believed in His Son, that our faith was substantiated in objective truth. And i got to tell you, friends, that truth... That truth is what sustains us as the church of Jesus Christ today. That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us direction. And the evidence that supports the truth claims of Christ are present in so many fashions, so many forms. Jesus took his disciples aside one day and recorded these words in Luke 18, verse 30. He said, gentlemen, we're going we're gonna to go up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about me, the Son of Man, is going to be fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled. Second point, my final point today, is um, 
I believe in Jesus because I believe there is historical evidence to support the fact that he rose from the dead. Not just a feeling, but solid historical evidence that supports the fact that Jesus Christ came out of that grave three days after his death and was seen by multitudes of people who could substantiate. This wasn't a ghost. This is Christ, the risen Savior. On either side of the stage, we have a cross. The cross was where the punishment took place. That's where the blood was poured out for my sins. That's where the supreme sacrifice took place. And if you get a chance to read through the book of Hebrews this week, you will see the book of Hebrews is replete with one example of another, of the writer mentioning Christ as the perfect land that was now once and for all sacrificed for the sins of humanity. We don't have a high priest that cannot connect with our weaknesses. We have a genuine high priest called Christ. It all started on the cross. But the good news is, three days later, he came out of that tomb. He came out of that tomb, and no longer do we serve a dead historian, a dead healer, a dead political activist. No, we serve the God's divine begotten Son, who not only died for our sins, but rose again. His resurrection from the dead is the fundamental crux of our faith. A couple of years ago, there was a two-column headline in the Cincinnati Post in the May 2004 edition of that paper. Actually, this appeared over an Associated Press article which made its way to the Cincinnati Post in May of 2004. Some of you may remember this. I, I kind of find this is a little fascinating to me. Thousands and thousands of people stood in line in Hong Kong in 2004 to see Buddha's finger. Man, you can't make this stuff up, man. This is good stuff. Ready? You don't hear this everywhere, but you will hear it at Kissimmee. Why? Because... Because I'm a crazy preacher. All right, so the article went on to say thousands of people lined up Thursday to see one of Buddha's fingers on loan from China for 10 days. Now, evidently, Beijing flew the finger to Hong Kong Wednesday when locals were celebrating Buddha's birthday. The finger was brought from the Feimen Temple near the ancient capital in central China. It was among Buddha's relics discovered in an underground shelter at the temple in 1987. And most of you who followed ancient history know that Buddha passed away in 483 B.C. Now, is it safe to say that he is an historical figure? Yes. Is it safe to say that Buddha is a religious figure? Of course. There's millions and millions of people that follow his teachings and consider themselves Buddhist. But I want to remind you today of this. And this is not something that I have discovered on my own. This is historical evidence that screams somebody preach it. But I want you to know that there is something that separates the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords from every other world leader or religious figure. Number one, Buddha was not preexistent. Jesus Christ was from the beginning of time. There's time does not confine Christ. In John, the first chapter, John records these words. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Christ. The Word was God. The Word was actually with God. All things were created by Him. In Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image, plural, speaking of Christ as a part of the triune in deity. Yes, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born in a little town of Bethlehem, but Christ has always been. He is the uncaused God. Buddha is not. Buddha is not God. He was not sinless. There was not one prophecy given about his coming. And when he died, he did not rise again. He was cremated. 
But that's not true of our Savior. That's not true of Jesus Christ. This is what makes Jesus' life, his death, and his life so unique. He was absolutely God in the flesh. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is found in John 1, verse 14. Would you read this with me together? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That verse of Scripture encapsulates Jesus' personality, why he came, and the reason for his existence and our need to receive him. He was from the Father. Now, there are a lot of world religions out there that claim a lot, but not one can claim, I am from God. I am God incarnate. And when I'm described and defined, I am defined as one full of grace, favor we got we don't deserve, and truth. That which affirms propositionally the nature of reality as it is, not reality as people perceive it to be. And not one person can make that claim but Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. That's who Jesus is. He is grace and he is truth, period. And I believe that and I've accepted that based on great biblical evidence. Yes, Jesus Christ can make that claim. In Acts, the first chapter, Luke writes these three verses here for us today. And he's writing to a theologian named Theophilus. Theophilus. Uh, that's a great name, right? Someone said when he was born, his mother said, that's the most awfulest baby I've ever seen. And hence, henceforth, okay. You know, you all act like you've never seen an ugly baby. Come on now. We, no, no, I know, I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm going in a direction I'm going to regret. Uh People said there's no such thing as an ugly baby. That's not necessarily true. Um, when I was at Winter Park serving that great congregation, I remember making a visit one time, and I was like, that is the scariest kid I've ever seen. It was like, whoo. I don't know. It's left a mark on my mind, and I, I know I'm drifting. In fact, after the doctor slapped the kid, they said that a few nurses walked in and threw a few punches in their own. I don't know if that's true or not. But I'm telling you, this baby was destined. But it's it's, it's a lot better looking now. It's really grown up to be a Beautiful child. Anyway, whoo, got that off my chest. Okay, let's go back to verse 1. All right, all right. Theophilus, the former account I've made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, verse 3 is really a verse that really captures me in regards to Christ's fulfilling prophecies and fulfilling God's desire for his life, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering. So we have him crucified. Now he's alive, presenting himself. And notice that Luke says to Theophilus, by many infallible proofs, proofs that cannot be denied, being seen by them during 40 days. So Christ resurrects from the grave. After he leaves his tomb, he makes sure that over 40 days he is seen by people. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, the church of which we are part of today. Failure to believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ is not due to a lack of solid evidence. God made sure that we wouldn't sit in this auditorium 2,000 years after Jesus Christ's life and his resurrection and wonder did it really happen? Now, I know that it takes faith to please God, but it's not blind faith. 
It's not faith based on subjective feelings and reasoning. God's, God's done so much for us, and he didn't want us to wander around in our lives questioning the authenticity of his son. And so what he did was he put solid evidence in our path, in our lives, so that we would know that our faith was based on reality, not subjectivity. It is due either to ignorance if we decide to reject Christ or sheer rebellion to objective truth. But no one has to walk out of here today and question who Jesus is. The resurrection of Jesus is the crux of our faith as Christians. It's the greatest attested fact in all of human history. And I'll tell you something, friends. If I'm going to sculpt my worldview and lifestyle around the teachings of Jesus Christ, I have to believe that he rose from the grave and that he's coming back for his church. I have to believe that. And I thank God every day that he gave me substantial, solid evidence to support the truth claims of his son. I'm privileged to be the fourth generation of preachers in the Christian church. I went to a great college and studied. I have served two wonderful churches, this being the second one. And I've had plenty of time to really value and appreciate Jesus Christ or leave the church because I didn't believe that the evidence supported the claims of Christ. But I will tell you this. I stand before you today having looked at the teachings of Christ and compared it to all the material, the narratives that were not only written by prophets, priests, and kings in reference to Jesus Christ, But I come to you today as a soldier of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, because I believe the truth claims of Christ can be substantiated. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 8, Paul reminds us of these words. And remember, Paul was not the biggest fan of Jesus. In fact, he was tormenting the church because he didn't believe that Jesus was authentic. He thought it was a political or some kind of religious uprising, and he felt it was a threat to Judaism. And as a scholar of Old Testament scriptures, I would have thought that he would have compared the notes and been a believer. And in time, he did. But this is what he says in regards to substantiating Christ as the Son of God, the risen Savior. He writes to the church at Corinth in a very hostile community of unbelievers. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. The gospel is good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus which I preached to you, which also you received, and now you stand. You stand on that message. You stand on the message of the cross. You stand on the message of the empty tomb. That's the message that you stand on. And when other world religions pop up, they cannot make the claim that their leader rose from the grave. But you can, Christian, so do so. Stand on that principle. Stand on that promise by which you have now been saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. And I don't want any of us to believe in vain, so let's make sure we understand who Jesus is, what he was all about, what he came to do. For I deliver to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The prophecies that pointed to that have been fulfilled. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. According to what? According to the prophet's predictions that it would happen. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. After that he was seen by James, and then by the apostles. Now, I just want to remind you today, that when thousands of people in 2004 line up in Hong Kong to witness the finger of a religious leader that passed away in 486 B.C., 
Jesus Christ, when he was seen after his death, he was seen from head to toe. Big difference. Big difference. In fact, a week after he resurrected, he went back up to see his disciples in an upper room. This time Thomas got there. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see the piercings in his hand and touch where the spear went in. And Jesus was not a ghost. He was once again in human flesh. He allowed Thomas to feel the pierced hands, to see where the nails pierced his feet and to touch his side where that sword went through. Days after Christ resurrected, he had lunch on the Sea of Galilee with a handful of his disciples. Ghosts don't generally eat, but he was in the flesh. Not one individual can claim the things that Jesus not only claimed, but accomplished the things after death that he did. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the church. I'm not ashamed of my faith because I know in whom I have believed. There is a bumper sticker that uh, is quite famous. And I, I bring this to your attention today because I want to make sure that what we do and what we preach is relevant to what's going on in contemporary culture. I've always prayed, God, I know I might come across a little offensive sometimes, and sometimes I might agitate people, but I don't want people to ever walk out of here going, I don't relate to anything he says. May not agree with everything, but, man, at least I can relate. But this bumper sticker is quite popular, and it's, it's, it's somewhat biblical in the fact that Christ taught the church how to live amongst people that we don't always agree with. I mean, when I look at the life of Christ, he was surrounded by uh, Jewish zealots who hated the Romans, so he worked with them. He worked with Jews who were sympathetic to the Romans. He converted Matthew. He, he worked with the Romans, okay? He worked with Samaritans who were hated by Jews. But he found a way to minister to all of them, although he didn't dial in or acquiesce with all of their teachings and belief system. But he was able to work with them, to coexist even with people he didn't agree with. And I find that the church does that today. I mean, you, you may have neighbors who are atheists or agnostics. You may have neighbors from, uh, who, who, who believe and follow world religions that are contrary to biblical truth. But the fact is we coexist as a church. But I want you to know something. Even though Jesus learned to coexist... He never compromised. And he always tried to convert. One reason in China right now, there is a mass revival in Christianity, even though the church is underground, is because the church has learned, even in China, that we coexist with unbelievers, but we're never, ever to not convert. One reason why I want to convert lost people is it because I want to chalk somebody else up to following Jesus? We got one more in our corner. When I'm able to, with the plan of salvation that God has so beautifully presented, share it with a lost soul, coexisting as humans on this planet, but I'm able to share and convert them to Christ, not because of anything I've said, but allowing the Holy Spirit to work through me, that's one more soul that will be with Jesus Christ for eternity. Jesus came to save us from this multi-theological struggle that we see taking place in our society. And I want you to know, if he was just as good or bad as the rest of the religious leaders of his time and our time, he would have spared himself the agony of coming to this corrupt earth and dying the way he did to save us. 
But I am proud today, not because of anything I've said or done, but I am proud to be a part of a movement. I'm proud to be a part of a faith. I'm proud to be a part of a church that was bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, and not built on human ideology and the human narratives that we see so popular today. Jesus Christ stands head and shoulders over every religion in the world today. It was Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to God but first through me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Paul says these words in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, not on any other name, but the name of the Lord, that person will be saved. That person will be saved. Though Jesus is the exclusive Savior for men, he excludes no man from that call. He excludes no man from salvation. Christianity is not just another religion, my friends. It is a faith and belief like no other. In closing today, a few years ago, and I don't say this uh, to be derogatory uh, toward his administration or his leadership. This is just an objective viewpoint that I have in reference to what was said. And, and I, I've, I've learned to, to kind of listen to things that are being said in the media and by world leaders that come across very cozy and warm, but when you dig through the narrative and you dig through the information, you find that it's it may be vacuous, although it sounds really encouraging, but it's it lacks, it's empty. And uh, and this is not to be disrespectful, but um, a few years ago, uh, President Obama uh, made an address on Easter Sunday, and he addressed the nation. And and what he said actually sounds kind of cool, but when you stop and think about it, it it lacks. It lacks, and it's, it's, again, it's vacuous. And here, here's what he did. He said, I'm calling on all people of all faiths, as well as non-believers, to embrace their common aspirations and their shared spirit of humanity. My friends, it's the shared spirit of humanity that drove Jesus to the cross. I, I'm so grateful that we have people from all walks of life here and different we have people on different roads to their faith. We have people who are saved. We have people that are unsaved. You're here. But you didn't come here so that I could share with you my human experience. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm here today, and you're here today, because we realize how frail we are and how lost we are. We didn't come here today to compare notes on the human experience, except for this. We need a Savior. We need something greater than we can develop or create on our own. We need a Jesus who will come to this earth in the form of a baby, live a sinless life, and die on a cross as the prophets foretold, and three days later come from the grave, establish His church, and be amongst us. So today I don't come to share with you about my human experience. I come today to celebrate the risen King, the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. That's why I'm here, and that's why I hope you're here too.